the word there is diaconus. One who executes commands or other of a master, servant, attendant, minister. So here in Titus, he might be using the Waiter, terms Waiter, one who serves food and drink. Oh, deacon. It might be. Right, that's, but that's what I'm saying is in, in Timothy here, they re, he refers to an overseer. Appoint elders in every town, and then he goes for an overseer. So it's like he's saying an elder's an overseer in this specific case. Yeah. yeah, and some translations in Timothy, it even says bishop, but it's the same word, the episcopus, that I was talking about before, that, that he used for overseer. Right. It's translated as overseer one place, and then other places translated as bishop. Right, but I'm, my point is, is that the distinction you're making here is between deacon and overseer, whereas the distinction here is between elder and overseer. The distinction and in Titus elder, is elder and overseer. Right? Elder is presbyter in Titus. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I mean, it seems like he's talking about the same people when you look at it. Exactly. That's my point. When you read it. Depends on the definition of is, is. Not accused of wildness or rebellion. Every pastor's kid is wild and rebellious. Then maybe we should not. They shouldn't be pastor. <laughs> I think there are a lot of pastors who are not qualified biblically to be pastors. Wow, but majority of the time, deacon is just translated as servant throughout the New Testament. <laughs> well, so is fun. Jesus being a deacon when he washed his disciples' feet? Uh, what chapter of Matthew was it? Later one. <laughs> well, actually, technically, he says, "The greatest among you shall be deacon of all." <laughs> that's where, that's where the word deacon is appearing on there. Oh, so Irma, uh, Irma is our deacon at our church. It says, "If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there he shall also be my deacon." <laughs> for if any man serve me, I'm just you putting the word deacon in there for those different things. That's cool. So, so where are we? We're, we're like right we're before looking, we hit the thing. We're, we're right looking before at we hit the Titus. And even looking at in Timothy, I'm still convinced that elders, the idea was he was supposed to appoint elders as overseers. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't talking about two different. So he's going there and appointing elders in every town. So he's setting up a structure with the overseer being the main part. Right, he's just trying to set up a structure of authority. Right, he's setting up a structure of, hey, I sent you to appoint these people. This is what they should, these are the kind of people you should appoint. It's kind of interesting in the introduction, Paul, the slave of God, an apostle, you know, um, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness and the hope of eternal life that God, who cannot lie. Wait, did you start reading? I'm sorry. Yeah, but it's like weird how he starts that up and then he says, to Titus, my true child. And then he says, um, you should be an example later on. And so he's like, you are basically me, like the, like the same traits you see in me is what you're supposed to be presenting. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and so it's just like going down a chain of command thing. It's kind of interesting. And so like you get a better idea of what he's talking about, where mm-hmm. it's like, be an example. One example of what? Be an example of what you've seen in me, you know? And so it's like all the way back to the beginning of the letter. Yeah. Hmm. You the, see, because it's the same word. The same word for elder is the one that's used for those that are standing around the throne in Revelation. Just, 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 just. 
Someone who is blameless, the husband of one wife. How can you be a leader and not be blameless? It seems like everybody blames you for everything when you're a leader. Well, you you should be blameless before becoming a leader. <laughs> and then after becoming a leader, it's over. Because <laughs> once you're a leader, then they should be able to blame you only for your leadership. <laughs> it's like, that's a contradiction in terms. Well, based upon the definition there, it's anegletos, which means they cannot be called into account, unreprovable, unaccused, blameless. Those are the different translations. So it's basically you're above the law at that point. You've become tenured. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's saying you have to be working in the education system to be an elder. Mm -mm. No, that's not what it's saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, should we jump through, continue with? So the husband of one wife, not just talking about polygamy, having faithful children, not accused of wildness or rebellion. Where are you at? Six. Thank you. Paul's the only one that uses this word in the entire New Testament. What? Blameless? Yeah. Does he use it a lot? Or just when talking about overseers? Uh, no, it's so. like... It's basically... See, and this is the funny thing, is like, it's so general that it could apply to everyone. It's like Paul uses it in Corinthians. It says, Who shall also confirm you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? You know, it's like it's talking about everyone generally in the congregation. He's not just writing to a specific leadership role. He's talking about everyone should be found blameless. So it's well. Like I guess that's probably more talking about like you're actually um, doing like you're 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 pressing forward to the goal of your Christian life, which is to end up being like Jesus in maturity. You know, and so that that would make you blameless. You know. Yeah, but he does the same thing in Colossians. Colossians one, he talks about in the body of his flesh through the death to present you holy and blameless and unreprovable. Says nothing well, about the, goal. the way you do. That's the goal. Well, no, of it. you're already your there. Faith. Because it says to present you, right? Yeah, and you so that so that faith may have its perfect work. Yeah, right? but see, this is talking you about a cup of coffee. This is talking uh, about good. God has already done these things and so he exactly. presents you as holy, unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. So well the goal, like what is the to present? Like the goal of this whole thing is to present and so you see he's entering into like the process of what he's trying to do, like when he comes. Like No, look at like, the word. What? Parastami. It's to place near or beside. It has nothing. It's not. It's not presenting you like. That's not the idea. The the idea is. It's basically. It's putting it around you. He's like wrapping you with a blanket of righteousness and blamelessness. So you don't have to do anything. It's actually almost covering up. Well, what your about blame. the bit in in Revelation where it says, um, "Those who have clothed themselves with the righteousness." What about them? Hmm. Seems like. I mean, there's a certain Those amount of there's themselves. a certain amount of them doing it. Like but he's the one that's clothing you. He's clothing you. You're you're, you're the one that's saying I don't want this. You're, you're, and so like have you ever tried dressing a toddler, Jeremy? I, all the time. And and, and, they, and if they want to wear that, you know they wear it. If they don't, they do. Well, what? like this is what I've noticed. Okay, when you first have your kid, it's like this or it's like this, and you're like, okay, can you push your arm through the thing? And then slowly they start. They start moving and helping you out a little bit, you know? And so I feel like that's probably, I don't know, is that more like the picture, you think? Like, like as you enter into the, the grace of his thing, you, suddenly you're, you're not like this limp noodle like when you first come, but you're like, okay, I'll push through the sleeve. That makes sense. 
you know and so that's and then it's like I don't, I don't know as you I mean but I mean my the point of what I'm trying to say is there's like a process though you know it's not like as soon as you enter in you're, you're there you know it's you like I mean you are trying to become more like him and it's all dependence on him and it's nothing you can do like obviously but at the same time I feel like there's a there's a very definite process as you enter into like the fullness of what he has for us, you know, and it's more just like our hearts being able to accept the fullness of what he has for us than, than like, you know, it's like, I mean, I believe like as soon as you're saved, you have access to all the, all the truths and all the, all the positional realities that God's placed you in, in Christ. Right. But yeah, that's you are unable you to, you are unable to use library. them, you know? Yeah. You know, it's like, but you don't know how to use it. Yeah. You, you know, a library card. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you, get, you can get a library card for an infant, but how are they ever going to use it? <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, and so, I mean, it's just about growing in that. Yeah. You know, that's what I'm trying to say. Makes sense. As I just came in onto that conversation and completely We were fighting lost. about Colossians. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were fighting about Colossians. What do you think about Hey, read the Colossians thing again. <laughs> that was good. Um, Titus is a very short book. It is. Because it goes Colossians book. next. <laughs> Colossians is But a Jeremy very short would feel bad because it didn't. I love Colossians. Why <laughs> did you just pick Colossians then? I just did a random. I literally said. Like, I literally said. Random number he, search. Yeah, he, he did some algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> and it came up with Titus or Ezra. I did random numbers. They're so good. I like, don't want to cook cookies anymore. I'm just going to have Andrew make all my cookies from now on. I don't make cookies. <laughs> I enable people to make cookies. You commission great works of cookies. You're the overseer of the cookies. Or the elder. <laughs> Since they're interchangeable in this one spot. <laughs> All right. So. Y'all still haven't proven me wrong on that, so I'm just. I am, I'm, I'm with you on it. I, I, yeah, I don't. Yeah. I think they're interchangeable I, here. I don't have a, an argument to stand on. Mm -hmm. I've always just perceived it for the same reason, but after looking at the words with Timothy, I'm like, wow, it's not even the same word in the Greek. Yeah. So he's obviously talking about something else. Yeah, yeah but in English, they're like, yeah, anyway. Okay. That's why I, li that's why I like studying and learning. Like, I, rem I like learning mm -hmm. because a lot of the times, basically, when I grew up as Lutheran, a lot of the interpretation of the Bible was based upon what Luther wrote. And then I get in there, and I'm like, this doesn't make sense because this word is only used once in the entire New Testament, but you're saying that it's ties into these other times that the English word is used. And like, Luther's off on this. Yeah. But saying that is like, it's almost blasphemous. Mm -hmm. Oh, I hear you. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I like, like when, for example, like in my last sermon, when I was listening, when I was reading about scoffing and scoffing, it's like, well, why didn't it just say everybody was scoffing? Why does it say the rulers were scoffing? The soldiers were mocking. And it's like, well, I mean, and then you look at the Greek and you're like, you see this other layer of application where the scoffing of the rulers is more than not wanting to accept the, the uh, conviction that Jesus is trying to place on them for their hypocrisy. Yeah. You know, when you look up the Greek, because the only time where you, the other, only other time he uses it is, is when the Pharisees are literally saying, are scoffing at him rebuking them, you know? Mm -hmm. oh. Okay. 
For an overseer, as God's manager, must be blameless, not arrogant, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful messages taught, so that he will be able to encourage sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. So see, he has to be seminary trained. No. Since no. <laughs> <laughs> you have to know the truth, since they have to be taught in a school. <laughs> and the fact that sometimes the wrong place to yeah. learn. You won't so, learn truth, you'll learn tradition. Yeah. Seminaries are full of liars. That's that's why I call it, you go to a theological cemetery. So. Where a spiritually thinking man goes to die. There was a person at the school I went to. His. his True belief was that Jesus existed and Jesus died on the cross, mm-hmm. but Jesus didn't perform miracles. Yeah, but the story of the miracles is what's true. The truths from the miracles, from the stories of the miracles, is what's true. So, so it's like Jesus a loves wine. Yeah, it's like a parable. <laughs> But Jesus was real. He just didn't perform those miracles. Yeah. But the truths from those miracles were true. I know it was. I mean, so what's the truth of changing water into wine? I understand resurrection of the dead. That gives us a truth of hope after death, and you know that kind of stuff. But well, see, in the wilderness, okay, the children of Israel were thirsty for water, and so like Moses split the rock, and water came out. In the, New Testament, a <laughs> in the New Testament, <laughs> if Moses was to split the rock, it would come out wine. Like when Jesus splits rocks, it comes out wine. But Jesus And wine is a symbol for intimacy with God. Which makes sense because when you split <laughs> Jesus, blood pours out. And so Which there's is the wine. Is the wine. And commu- I, 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 I totally get this. Or if it coagulates. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds man. like some weird vampire movie. <laughs> Where they take blood and make wine from it. Oh if you God. add yeast to blood, does it ferment? I wonder how many people we've offended sitting in this coffee shop over time. I know. Like, wow. But anyways, getting back to things. What do you think it means? It's like, I understand the, the husband of one wife. What do you mean about having believing children not accused of loose behavior or unruly? Is that still referring to the What's children? Wildness? What is wildness and rebellion in Greek? Well, see, my thing is, is having believing children. So, like, what if you do all that you're supposed to do? You know, it's like, like, I think of Samuel. Based upon this, Samuel would not be qualified. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Based upon this, David Eli would be not wa- be qualified. qualified. You know, it's I like mean, you could disqualify a Isaac whole bunch of wouldn't be qualified. I mean, one of Unless Abraham's children wasn't believing. Like, you know, I mean, who yeah. exactly is believing? I mean, Jacob. What does that mean? Jacob, I don't think half of, like, I think, like, well, like ten of his kids probably weren't believing. Does it, like, but I mean, are we reading too much in this? Is where it says having believing children. It's like, well, as long as you have one out of, you know, you have a remnant out of. Like, yeah, you just have to have like. It's um, like, can I? Well, and then the question becomes: Is do they have to be children who are like, believing, or children? once they become an adult, are they? Are you still bound by their actions as an adult? Well, I I tend to go back to what it was talking about in the Torah, where it's like they weren't dragging their eight-year-old out there and saying, "We need to stone this child. He's unruly. He's drunken. You know, like <laughs> drunken and all this other stuff old. like that. You know, because that's what people usually typically say. See, God's heart. It's like no, these are these are full-grown reprobate 
children. Right. And, and they're bringing it in front of them because they're fully capable of making good decisions. And the community has really tried. And so now they say, okay, well, we just need to... We just need to end it now before you do any more damage because you're obviously not repentant. You're not going to repent, so just end the damage. That's that's why I always went to the whole, if they just said stone you because this is what would happen is, is that God has a standard of holiness. If you weren't within that standard of holiness, you got thrown outside the camp. If the, if the food and the water were only available within the camp, what would happen to you if you were outside of the camp? Die. You would die. So what's the more humane thing to do? Just do it right away and not have you suffer like starvation, dehydration, and die like that. So then, if we take Anyways. it on its face value, then if a person has any children that are not believers, then arguably they shouldn't be leaders. I mean, I think the heart of this thing is more like he has to be in control of his family. Like, you know, if he's gonna be controlling and leading the church, he needs to be able to control and manage people. And like the most ready example of you being able to control and manage people is like, is your family under control? And if like people just look at your family like, whoa, this guy has no idea what he's doing, you know, like, you know, then he probably shouldn't be a leader. I don't think that they're like gonna sit there and send like a social worker to the house and have him sit there for like months before they actually let the, okay, this guy knows how to handle a family. I mean, you know, I think it's just like one of those litmus tests where you just look at it and you're like, yeah, he, I mean, his kids are, you know, he's doing the best he can, you know, he's, he's working, you know, you can, you can tell he's trying to raise his kids up in the way they should go. And I mean, you know, at the end of the day, what the kids do is kind of what the kids do, you know, as everybody must stand before God. But I mean, you know, were you faithful in leading your kids in the way they should go? And I mean, you know, that's something that like is really easily seen you know and so i don't think this is like like in order to actually look at this like we had this one pastor who had two daughters that were really in that were really really um really really into god they had a good relationship with god but he he had a son that never even came to church yeah you know and no one even knew about the son at church you know no one even knew about the son at church until i went and did his drain field and his son's out there you know i'm like i didn't even know you had a son you know, and he's completely not believing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I believe that pastor was definitely a man of God that was, that was. I mean, you know, raising his kids up in the way they should go. But I mean, you know, when they get to a certain age, you know, I mean, kids are gonna do what kids are gonna do. I say believe or don't believe lies. I mean, I don't know. Of course, then the question becomes, this can get really crazy. But then the question becomes, you know, are you only in charge of the people that are considered within your household still? Like, not necessarily just minors versus adults, but people that are, like, kind of under your household protection. Does that make sense? Because mm-hmm. I know, I mean, especially nowadays, we have a lot of young people who are still kind of under their parents, even though they're 37. Legal. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean... I look at it this way, though. It's like, what what does the Bible describe as like a family unit? It basically 
you leave your mother and father to go and start. So your own until household. you're married, you're not really. And that's kind of what I'm encouraging my children. I'm not. I'm like. I'm gonna be like, no, we're gonna lock you in your room. They'll be like, no. It's like I'm. I'm encouraging my children. I said, look, this is the most reasonable, prudent thing for you to do: is stay here under our guidance, under our protection, until you start your own family when you're mature enough to do that. Now, if they choose not to do it, it's like the prodigal son. You know, go off, so your wife. I feel like, look, I'm not gonna stop you. Here's half the inheritance. Go take it. Right. I know you're going to waste it, but you know right. maybe you'll see the error of your ways and come back. And that's why his father rejoiced so much is because he he knew that mm -hmm. that's what happened. But look at the way that father in that story acted, and you can see the the you can see like the the whispers of a righteous man that's raising his children right mm -hmm. that could be an elder, even though his son was wild. You yeah. know, I don't know. You know, yeah. I mean. No, I hear you, I mean, and I, in general, I agree with you. But these kind of scriptures always give me pause because there's no more context other than. Yeah, I mean, why, and these see, are like guidelines. That's is how I read just, it. They're more like know? guidelines. They are more like guidelines. Like we want like lists of you things that need to happen, right. and it's like, I mean, you can see the spirit of what he's talking about here. Yeah. And so, I mean, yeah. it's like, sure, you have one crazy kid, but you know, yeah. like I see that you're really good husband and father mm -hmm. I, I think I think this is a literal checklist and that's why Paul says it's better to remain unmarried <laughs> it's better to be unmarried without kids because then you don't come under this <laughs> well being unmarried just assumes that you wouldn't have to well hey well, no. arguably you never know arguably you wouldn't qualify to be a, a overseer if See? it went by the checklist because you must be the husband of one wife is that talking about polygamy? Well, it doesn't say that. It says you've got to have one wife. What if your first wife died and so you've technically had two See, wives? I, I've met a couple people that they, they say the Bible argues or allows, and I'm going like every single instance where somebody has more than one wife, it's it always turns a out horrible bad. situation. Mm -hmm. I said that should teach you a lesson right there. Yeah. Though arguably, so what he could be getting at with the one wife thing. So if you... Death kind of breaks the... The, the covenant of marriage, yeah, right? Yeah. Whereas divorce doesn't. Uh, okay. So if you uh, divorce yeah. and get remarried, but you it, technically might have two wives. Well, see, no. The thing is, like, it. it and I think it's that's weird. Why Paul was married and his wife died. Possibly. Uh, divorce I, is I think, weird I think in the Bible. He, like, I think he, his wife may even have been a believer. Mm -hmm. Like this is just my own thing. I sure, think his sure. wife was was a was a, was a believer in mm -hmm. Messiah, and he actually turned her in, and she was executed. And I think that was the thorn in his flesh. This Could be reliving that vision. You know, mm -hmm. that's why I think it was something with his eyes. You know, it's like you know how somebody says, "Oh well, you know, if I could just pluck out my eyes, so I wouldn't have to see that again." Mm -hmm. You know, it's mm -hmm. like an expression. I think that's what Paul says. It's because I think he actually witnessed the execution of his wife before he was converted. Saying, that would make she's sense. She's a he, she's a heretic, you know, and that's why he says they should remain unmarried as I am because you know his wife was dead, so he's no longer legally bound because he was the one that always talked about. You know, it's like as long as the person is alive, the, the marriage is still mm -hmm. in effect. Which also may puts Jesus' words of my grace is sufficient for you in better context, if that's true. Because if Paul is being, if it, basically if it's being thrown in his face time and mm -hmm. time again, what Jesus is saying there is, listen, my grace is sufficient. It covered it. Keep going. Keep moving on. Yeah, and I, I always took that as, you know, because he kept getting persecuted, it's like, look, this is part of your grace. You know, it's yeah. like, so that way, you know, you you can feel my love knowing that, look, you know, don't 
beat yourself up. Don't have this guilt trip about it because you know what? I'm going to put you through all this stuff. <laughs> You're going to be persecuted. Like you don't even know. <laughs> um, okay, I have a weird thing about divorce. I wanted to see, I wanted a sounding board off you guys. Okay. You're so probably like, wrong. When you read it, when you read it in the text, it says that the one who divorces his wife causes her to commit adultery. Uh-huh. Yeah. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Mm-hmm. And like this this idea is reinforced and it seems like adultery follows the divorced woman around, but it isn't applied to the man unless he marries a divorced woman. So can a man commit adultery? No, it's anyone who marries after they've been divorced is No, it adultery. says it's specifically it's gender specific in every single text where it ta- where it's brought up. It's gender specific mm-hmm. to the woman. Like literally, you you see it, and so it's like, if you're a man that divorces what, a woman and marries a man, a woman that was never married, well, I'm, I'm I'm just doing the browsing. It doesn't seem I'm to be up the word. It's it's gender specific. It's weird. Like I always see the the woman being tied with this uh, idea of adultery after divorce, and then I mean the man isn't really mentioned. Well, see, here's the thing: is the guy is causing a woman to go into adultery because she's going to need somebody to take care of her. She, yeah. Obviously, you were taking care of her. Now she's going to have to go and marry somebody else. But not if she gets, like, if she remains unmarried. Yeah, but in that culture, a woman, a woman remaining unmarried was, like, basically going into poverty. But Paul encourages that. True. How about Luke 16? 18. Luke 16. See, that one, it's going against a guy on that situation. And he's not marrying a divorced woman. It just says anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. Clearly. Yeah, it does. So it's it's not just following the guy. Luke is telling us, look, if you divorce your wife and you go marry somebody else because you think she's going to be better, you're committing adultery. Okay. I mean, it does apply also, like you said, it is following the woman as well, because even if even if she's trying to do the right thing, you're causing her to do, commit adultery because you've divorced her. It's your fault. He, so he's basically placing the blame on the guy for causing his wife to sin. So he still takes responsibility, and that sh- proves what you were talking about before, that it doesn't end the marriage bond, because you're still taking responsibility for her, even though you've written her certificate of divorce and sent her away, you still, he's still going to blame you for anything she does now. Well, I have a another... Also in Matthew, when Jesus yeah. refers to it, he says, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. But do you know the context of that is Deuteronomy? Right, where, that's where Jesus is talking about how Moses let them divorce, but that's yeah, not but how you know, you know, the con- that's only when you first get married. If right, you that, find the infidelity later the on after you've been married for years, God's you like, it's yeah. like, hey, you know. And, and so the disciples knew that. That's why they said, this is a hard teaching. Who can get married then? So you need to tell me. Where are you talking about? Uh, where is it? Matthew. What, where were we at? You were at Matthew. Well, I was in Matthew, but you said it references Deuteronomy. I was curious about the verse in Deuteronomy. Yeah, where is it? You were at Matthew, what chapter? I was in Matthew 19. Okay. Um, like. Oh, it's Deuteronomy 22. Okay. 13 through 21 and Deuteronomy 24. Those are the only two places in the entire Torah that it talks about divorce. 
surprisingly. 22 what? I'm sorry. Uh, 2213 is the one, and then 24 it talks about it. I think it's 13, yeah. 13 through 21, it's talking about the whole process. See, this is only at the beginning of the marriage. You know, this isn't this isn't later on in life. And you'd be like, no, this is the guy. You know, they have the formal wedding ceremony. He goes on, you know, honeymoon and says, hey, whoa, you know. And where was the other one? Twenty four. What? Yeah, it's it's just uh, twenty four. Chapter twenty four, and it's like. It's the, and it says, when a man takes a wife and shall marry her, so this is right at the beginning, then she'll be, you know, it's basically, you know, what's the reason? It's like, okay, there's a matter of uncoveredness, i.e., you know, fornication. And so basically then it goes on to the whole thing, you know, it's like, and then, you know, there's other rules about marriage, but, you so know. So you're saying 19 is what you're talking about in Matthew? Yeah, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about, it's the same word, like if you go to the Septuagint, the same word there, you know, where it says uncleanness or, or that stuff, it, it's the same, you know, porneia, you know, it's fornication, it's translated as fornication. Because in the Septuagint, right. in the Greek, they use the exact same word that Yeshua is working in this Greek word, where it says except for fornication. But how would that work today where we don't actually... We don't have the same marriage custom. This is what it would be. Yeah. You get engaged, right? Right. And this is the getting to know. You get to know the parents, everything like that. She says she's this or whatever. And you go after the marriage ceremony and find out, you know, or even before the marriage ceremony. This, The, the only example we have of this is in Matthew, the beginning of chapter Matthew. Joseph finds out, hey, Mary's pregnant. I know I didn't sleep with her. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, so he's going like, mm, I'm going to just, you know what? I, I really love Mary. You know, she's, she's the love of my life. I'm just going to kind of do this quietly. You know, like I, I'm just going to file the paperwork. I'm not going to make a big show of it. I'm not going to ask them to stone her or anything like that, even though it's within my right, you know, kind of, I'm just going to do it quietly. That's the only example we have of that in there. And so that's where I would say, in, in modern society, it's like, look, if you find out about it, you, you break off, you break off the marriage. You say, nope, sh sorry, you know. And the parents were like, no, we can prove that, you know. It's like, and I don't know how that exactly works, and why right. the parents would see. That, that's the thing that was confusing with me. It's almost like, do the parents keep the bedsheet from the honeymoon night? Like that's what they do, though. <laughs> like that's what the Jews no, do. This is it's like so weird. Yeah. <laughs> like remember, remember that one movie where uh, what's her face, uh, where uh, what's her face was this girl it's that so pretended to be a guy. Culture, like you like said. yeah, like, this girl was pretending to be a guy, and then they end up getting married. It was Barbara Streisand was pretending to be a guy so she could learn the Torah, and they end up like getting. She ends up getting married to this girl. And they spill wine on the bread bed sheet because obviously nothing happens at the wedding night, and she has to turn, give the bread sheet to the this people. This sounds like a real. You don't remember that movie? movie? You don't remember? I wouldn't I watch a movie like that. Bed sheet. Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I, don't think I, I would watch that. a movie like that. Papa, can you hear me? You don't know the song? It's like, like Fiddler on the Roof. No, it's the other one. I know what movie he's talking about. It's generally not a creepy movie. But I don't remember this. Creepy you don't remember part. that creepy no. part when when they get married and they send them off to the bedroom. Right, and then she spills wine on the bed sheet, and they pass the bed sheet out through the door, and then everybody at the party starts partying because they think that they're getting it on in the bedroom. It's a weird scene. Yeah, I'm good. Like literally, they take the bride and the groom and put them movies. in. Uh, no, it's there. It's in that movie, and it's that's it's like the weirdest scene in the whole thing to me. It's like really, that's how Jews celebrate weddings. Like really, like everybody's in the reception. 
Yeah. Like, waiting for them think to if pass we did a that bed today. sheet out with blood on it. Think if we did that today. How many, like, if we had the same culture that, that the Jews had with sexual purity before marriage. Well, not just the Jews, like, it, the biblical principle that was set forth. See, because it's like, see, now this is what I wrestle with. It's like a lot of people, they just want to throw off the principle because they're like, oh, we're not under the law. And I'm like, okay, so if you're not under the law, are you above it? Right. You know, I mean, there's a principle that God was trying to teach that, right. you know, it's like with the same thing with the tithing. You know, Jesus was like, look, these things you must do, but you're neglecting the weightier issues of the law. So there's certain aspects of this stuff we need to do, but not lose focus on the weightier issues. Right. Of what well, the thing is what Paul talks about and how we should look at the law. He says, look, the law is there so that we learn what is sin. He's like, I wouldn't have known what covetousness was if I didn't, if the law didn't say, do not covet. How does it help you learn what covetousness is? It says, don't do something. I don't know what I'm supposed to not do. I think the point was important. Well, no, the point is more like the point of the tree in the garden. Like, you didn't want to, you didn't want to eat the tree until all of a sudden he says, don't eat this tree. And they're like, why? What? What's so special about that tree? I'm, and suddenly, like, there's like a million trees in the garden, but all you're doing is thinking about the one you can't eat from, you know? Like that sort of thing, and that's what the law does in, in everybody, is it highlights the one thing you're not supposed to do, you know? And that's what his point is. I always wondered why he put the tree in the garden. They're like, it, I, I think he was put the tree in the garden so that we would eat it, but it would be under the right understanding. You know, it's like, there are certain things, it's like you want your children to be able to drive your car. You know, they, you want them to be able to drive a car, operate it safely and that kind of stuff. But you don't want to do it when they're five. You, you, you know what I'm saying? So God wanted them to eat from the tree of knowledge, good and evil. But he wanted them to be at a level where they could understand it and not take it and, you know, your five-year-old starts driving your car and you're like, no, 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 this is the wrong yeah. time. Good, good thing. I want you to drive a car, but wrong timing. Well, I don't I, see that. I you see don't? it more as a... And this is part of the theology that so I So you're saying God put an evil tree in the middle of the garden? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the tree itself is an evil. I mean, no, no, no. Like, what happens... Well, I think the point, though, is that... And this kind of, you know, Calvinists wouldn't necessarily agree with me necessarily, but hey, we have free will. And I'm God a Fahrenheit guy myself. God doesn't... God doesn't... <laughs> Kelvin, not it, Calvin. Yeah. <laughs> Calvin, not Kelvin. <laughs> the free we have. God wants us to choose Him and to choose to obey Him. And so, the only so He put the one thing in the garden and says, "This is the only thing I've said you can't have." And I'm at, and that was the test of will they choose Him or not. That was the test of whether they would choose of their own free will to obey versus, you know, well, we don't really have anything we can choose outside of God, so we don't have a choice. 